You're listening to the Centre Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message, recorded live from our Brighton campus. We have, uh, in the last few weeks, been looking at this tagline, a new perspective for a new year. And, uh, and in that, we've had a few statements. And the one statement a few weeks ago was, God is great, so we don't need to be in control. And uh, basically, in that particular, uh, with that particular statement, we looked at Jesus walking on water. And there was kind of three points to that week. And it was the first one was Jesus sees. The second one is Jesus responds. And the third one was Jesus breaks in. And uh, we just see how how Jesus responds to us. He sees what's going on and he responds to us when we cry out to him. And when he climbs in the boat with us, it's amazing the peace and the comfort that comes to our lives and how we need to be uh, really crying out to him so that we can uh, get through those storms and those challenges in life. The uh, Last week we talked about how God is good so we don't need to look elsewhere. And we looked, up, looked at the, the rich young ruler and... Um, Really, I think what it all boiled down to there is is um, we don't need to impress God with what we're doing. He just wants our hearts. He wants our hearts, and that's that's the main thing. And uh, so often we we try to go about things differently. And the rich young ruler, you know, he knew where his heart was at, but he chose to just sort of ignore where it wasn't and look at where it was. And and Jesus just kind of called him out in that. Um, but he called him out not to humiliate him or, or called him out to kind of to make him walk away. He called him out because he wants this close relationship with us and he knows all the things that can keep us from him. And so he wants to point the things out that would bring us to him. And so that's where we talked um, again last week. And so we're going to follow, again, the same sort of tagline, a new perspective for a new year. Um, and the statement tonight is this, God is gracious so we don't have to prove ourselves. So God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. Another way you could say it perhaps is God is gracious, so we don't have to, um, so we can rest in that. And we even sang tonight about resting in God. And so God is gracious, so we can rest in that. Or God is gracious, so we don't need to prove ourselves. And so as I said a few moments ago, we're going to read from the text in John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11. And in uh, many of the Bibles that are on your tables, that's on page 1072. So chapter 8, verse 2, says, At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this to question as a this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, "Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her." Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard um, at this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. 
Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. This is probably, for me, um, there's, there's a few passages in, in the Word that I really like. But this is one that I, I just love Jesus in this story. And I just love um, how he, I guess at the end of the day, he, he privately corrects this lady. And he publicly protects her. And um, that line came from my wife a number of, maybe even a year ago, she started saying that. And I just thought, yeah, it's like he doesn't bring shame, but he protects her. And uh, I just love that about Jesus. His, his deep love for us is so amazing. You know, it just speaks of how awesome, how awesome God is. I love, I love that, um, that no one's out of reach of Jesus. I think, again, in that context and the life that this lady was living, it's like that was, she was not out of reach of Jesus. And it just reminds me that I'm not out of reach of Jesus and that we're not out of reach of Jesus. And I, I love that it, it reminds me of how, how I need to be responding to people. How so often when we think we've got it all together and we've got all our I's dotted and our T's crossed and I grew up in this kind of family or I've done this or I've gone here and all of these things. And sometimes we can think I'm one up on somebody. But here in this story, it just reminds us of how we're to continue to live the way Jesus responds to these individuals. And um, I know for me, that is just so important that we respond how Jesus responds. In a few simple lines, Jesus deals with of course, in different ways, but he deals with the accusers and this lady, and they all leave changed. And I won't go into it, but I'd, I'd be very interested to know how those gentlemen or those men, how they lived after that encounter with Jesus, because they encountered Jesus as well. They just encountered Jesus in a very different way than how this lady encountered Jesus. Um, but they all left changed. And, uh, the teachers of the law, I, I'm sure, and the Pharisees were probably thinking, man, this, this guy's incredible. I mean, just how he handled that situation. I think when I look at that story as well, I think, God, give me the wisdom to handle these sort, sort of situations that I face today. Give me that wisdom so that, so that I can, so that the people that, you know, that I come into contact with will be able to say, yeah, that guy, there's something about, that guy and it obviously be directed to christ so they were probably thinking this guy is incredible and then the lady she leaves empowered and she leaves freed i mean you think she gets in many ways thrown at the feet of jesus not knowing what is going to be next and she leaves empowered and freed and you know there's many angles you can take again looking at this story but there's three that that i want to look at this evening and um and the first is this, is Jesus' deep love towards this lady. There was this deep love towards this lady. 
At this time, the act of adultery, and many of you may be aware of this, was was punishable by stoning until death. And uh, if they had the enough evidence, which basically consisted of a number of individuals seeing the actual act, and then the the man and the woman, both of them coming um, in front of the teachers of law and, and the Pharisees, or you know the justice system at that time. Uh, which again, in this story, there was no man, which is kind of peculiar, right? But as long as there was a, enough evidence, then then that's what would happen. But um, what we see in this, what we also see though, is that this, though that that though that was the reality, that's what would happen: uh, stoning by death if you were caught in adultery. Um, it it often didn't happen, um, and the reason is because again the act of adultery is something that would happen behind closed doors. And so generally there wasn't an audience. Generally there wasn't a number of people that were observing what was happening. So it didn't always happen, but it, it did obviously happen. And, um, and obviously if someone was caught in the act of adultery, then there would be, um, there would be a judgment and there would be a sentence that was given. You know, So I guess when I when I think of this story and I think of the situation, I think it could have it could have been a setup or it could have been genuine. You know, it says, um, you know, Jesus. I guess was I don't know if he was he was he was genuinely genuinely cons- with whether he was genuinely concerned or not. Um, I think what he was concerned about in this situation was the fact that they were trying to trap him. That's what they were trying to do, and and uh, and and he wanted to see because or because they wanted to see how he would respond. And now I'm sure this lady had a reputation, and uh, and Jesus, knowing all things, knew the life that she was living. And yet, this was not what he wanted to point out that day. What he wanted to point out that day was his love for this lady. That's what he wanted to point out. And, uh, you know, we all have shortcomings. We all have weaknesses. Um, you know, we're aware of the things that are out of line in our lives. Um, and it's not that these things should be ignored. But the antidote to overcome them is not for others or for Jesus to keep pointing them out over and over and over again. I don't know if anybody's ever been there where somebody just keeps on pointing out your flaws. And it's like, I already know these flaws that are going on in my life. I don't, I don't need you to keep pointing them out, them out. But the antidote is to get closer to Jesus. That's the antidote, antidote to overcome these things, to experience his love and to capture the vision and the heart that he has for us. That's the antidote to overcome these, these areas in our lives where we keep falling short. And, uh, you know, I remember a, a number of years ago um, when I gave my heart to the Lord, one of the things that I had a challenge with overcoming was I, I taken up the habit of, or of taken up smoking. And, uh, and it was just one of those habits that you just, it's hard to break. And there was a number of areas where the Lord had just worked in my life and, and I'd overcome those things. And, uh, in many ways, um, the moment I gave my heart to the Lord, it's like those things were just broken off in my life, but smoking was not one of them. And I remember my mom just chatting with me one day and I was, I was just really concerned about this, this habit of smoking. And, uh, 
and and I knew that I wanted to I knew that I wanted to quit, but I just was really struggling with it. And all she said is just you just ask the Lord to to take it away, and if you just and just leave it at that. And in all honesty, that's really what I did. And just over a short amount of time, it was like God just took it away. And and I guess um, what I what I learned in that experience with my mom was that she could have kept nagging at me. Other people could have been nagging at me. They could have kept pointing out, oh, look at that guy. He's smoking and he's this or he's that or whatever. But what my mom, what she did was she just directed me to Christ and just said, you know what? Just leave it at the foot of the cross. And over time, God will take that away. And he genuinely did. And so I guess the response that my mom gave me that day was in so many ways Jesus. Because again, it wasn't pointing it, pointing it out necessarily, but pointing me towards, towards him. And I think that's what we need more than people pointing out the things in our lives. And, uh, and it's just stuck with me. And in so many ways, she taught me how to respond to others, as I had said earlier. To be an advocate and not an accuser. Not pointing out sin, but showing and directing others to God's love. And in verse 10 and 11 in this story, it says, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. And before Jesus told her what she needed to do, Jesus showed compassion. He showed love. And he, and he embraced her. And, and that was what needed to happen first and foremost. He could have easily pointed it all out to her. But would have that been the thing that would have probably maybe pushed her further away from him. And Christ does that in our lives. We are challenged to do this for others in their lives. We're challenged to, 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 to not point things out in other people's lives or for others to point these things out in our lives, but to direct us to, towards Christ. The second thing we see is she didn't have to prove that she was fit for God's kingdom. Jesus made it possible for her. Jesus made it possible for her. And we see this in the very little that she says. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure about you, but I know for me, um, if my name is brought up and, uh, and people are naming off all of the things that I'm doing wrong, the first response that I want to do is begin to throw at them all of the things that I'm doing right. I'm, I'm not sure if anybody else is, is the same in the room, but if it, people are always pointing out certain things that I'm doing wrong, I want to point out the things, but I'm doing this right, and I'm doing that right, and what about this, and what about that? And I think in this particular story, I wonder why that lady didn't begin to do that, but she doesn't. She just stays silent. And, you know, there's all sorts of theories and ideas about what was Jesus writing in the dirt during that situation. But maybe I'm wondering if, if uh, because she was close enough, I wonder if he wrote, you know, I got this. Don't worry, I'm, I'm going to take care of this situation. Or maybe she was just, he was saying, I'm doing a new thing. And maybe he was, obviously he wasn't writing that in English, he was writing it in some other language. But I'm doing a new thing. Or maybe he was saying, you know, they may have evidence, but I can give you a new start. 
You know, maybe this was the this was what was happening in that moment. And uh, finally, you know, when the men stop questioning and yelling, Jesus says, uh, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then Jesus continues to write in the mud. And maybe this time he says, don't worry, because I'm sure after he made that statement again, she's probably thinking, oh, I'm done now. Right. I mean, if you put yourself in her shoes. But again, he writes, he continues to write. And I wonder if he says, don't worry, the stones will fall. They're not going to be thrown. And then I wonder if he's thinking, don't worry, I got some junk on these guys as well. And so you're safe. I mean, you wonder what's going on. And I'm obviously reading into the text. But I think very, very often it's like, it's like when we get close enough to Jesus, then we're able to, to know his heart. We're able to see what he's saying. We're able to hear what he's whispering. We're able to, maybe we're not going to see him write something, but we're close enough to hear what he's saying. And that embrace, that love, that I've got this. You know, when we're far from him, it's harder to hear what he's maybe saying to us. So the rocks fall and, and they begin to walk away, starting with the eldest and working its way down to the youngest. And then Jesus straightens up and says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she says, no one, sir. And then neither do I condemn you. You know, those three words, no one, sir, was her realization and invitation into a new life and a relationship with Jesus. She just kept quiet. And then she just responded to him. You know, Jesus doesn't disregard or, or overlook her sin because in verse 11 it says, go now and leave your life of sin. But he just makes it clear that it's about his grace first. You know, there was nothing that she did in that moment except for say, no one, sir. That was it. And, and Jesus wanted to show that it's about his grace first. It's about getting what we don't deserve. And Tyler even mentioned you know, about God's grace tonight during communion. And I'm sure this lady, you know, who was thrown at the feet of Jesus was thinking, this is it. But in the end, uh, it, it, it ends up becoming a time when she experiences the love of God and, uh, and what she needs to do. She experiences his love and then she knows these are the steps that he's calling me into. You know, I, I really believe that love is a powerful motivator. When we love, it motivates. And I think in this particular story, we see how Jesus loved this lady right where she was at. And it motivated her to, it motivated her to kind of leave that life of sin. The third and final thought, I guess, for us tonight is, is this. It's grace that saved us. Let it be grace that keeps us. It's grace that saved us. Let it be grace that keeps us. And this really is, I guess this thought is loosely connected with this, with this story. And, and so follow me for a second and, and hopefully I'll be able to unfold, uh, what I'm trying to say. So, um, we're told, we're not told in the scripture exactly what she does after Jesus says, leave this, leave your life of sin. 
But in Luke 7.47, we read a powerful scripture that says, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. So again, Luke 7.47, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And so Jesus, in this particular scripture, he's not talking about the same lady, but he is talking about another lady that was in a sinful lifestyle. And because it just doesn't add up um, or line up with scripture that Jesus would forgive simply because of her display of love, which is what she's doing, the sentence where it says, as her great love has shown, actually means to show gratitude. So we can assume that she is showing gratitude by because she's responding to something that she's already heard or received. She isn't forgiven because she loved much, but loved much because she was forgiven. So there's this response. She's experienced his grace, and now she's responding to that grace by loving much. And because of this love that she experienced, her response is to serve him with her life, to show him gratitude for what he has done, to show him gratitude for his grace. But what I believe can easily happen in our lives is is that we forget that it was his grace that got us to where we're at. We forget what brought us to this place. And we begin in our Christian journey to do things in our own strength. It's grace that brought us into the kingdom. But sometimes when we get into the kingdom, then we start living differently where we feel that we have to work at it, that we have to prove ourselves. But it's always God's grace. And so instead of resting in his graciousness, we begin to uh, feel this need to prove ourselves. And when we feel we need to prove ourselves, we lose the joy of our salvation. And I think so often, I think of my own life personally, and I think when it becomes about works, and now don't get me wrong, I believe that we're to be faithful. I believe we're to work hard. I believe we're to give God our very best. I believe all of those things. But when it, when it becomes just about, in a sense, works and not out of, and, not, and it's not out of this love relationship with the Father, it, it becomes this very tiring thing. It becomes something that we feel like we have to do instead of enjoy to do. It becomes this relationship that, oh, I got to put time into this again instead of I just want to spend time with him. And so um, we need to, we need to, I don't personally want to lose the joy of my salvation, but I want to stay in that place of the joy And so uh, the relationship that Jesus longs to have with you becomes more about what we think we can and should do for him instead of simply being with him, instead of just hanging out with him. And that's what he desires. And so just the other day, I was reminded in a prayer time, and I think it it can apply to all of us, and that's um, God wants us to be people first and foremost of his presence. And I know that that kind of sounds maybe a little bit cliche. That's kind of obvious. Um, but he wants us to be people of his presence. 
and uh, that we are to guard ourselves from getting caught up and only seeking him because we need something or because you have to deliver on something. And I think we've all sort of been there, and I'm not suggesting that that's a wrong thing, but when our relationship with him is just about what we can get out of it and only turning to him when we need something, it's 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 not really a relationship. And uh, and so he wants us to be people of his presence. And um, he wants us to seek him in response to his great love for us, to seek him because we love him and want to know him in a greater way. That's what he desires, is that we would seek him for those reasons. And in Matthew 6, 33, again, a very popular scripture, but it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And the reality is when we seek first his kingdom, it keeps us from falling into the trap of feeling we need to prove ourselves um, because we will be in the place that we need to be. When we are seeking first his kingdom, we're in the place that we need to be so that we're not trying to prove ourselves, but, but living in this relationship with him. And uh, I guess as a church, I think we're very, we're very keen as a church to serve and to kind of find needs and meet those needs. But, and I guess I commend us for that. I think we've done some amazing things and I, and I guess a caution on, you know, this sort of message is just being people of his presence is well then, well now we don't need to do all the other stuff that God calls us to, but it's about maybe not necessarily finding a balance, but, but seeking first his kingdom and making sure that that's number one. And then, and then the rest will follow the rest of the serving that God puts on our heart to be doing is will follow uh, and will come out of that relationship. And so my desire, as we have shared so many times is that, is that we would reach, reach camp down, that we would, um, that we would just, serve this community and see many people come into the kingdom. When we lose sight of his grace, we easily slip into trying to earn it. And I want us to be people of his grace and people of his presence so that, so that we are just in tune with what he's calling us to be doing uh, in, this, in this area you know, and wherever God calls us. Tom, if you don't mind, I'll get you to come to the front. And just to to wrap up tonight, you know, even this kind of last part was a bit off off of the the story, sort of speak, but. You know, and how it applies, I'm not entirely sure. Other than the woman that was caught in adultery, she experienced God's ridiculous love and his ridiculous grace uh, that day. And he wants us to live from that place. That we would, that we would just be people that would just embrace his grace in everything that we do. That we would just be people that would seek first his kingdom, that we would be people that would just continually look to him, that we, that we would just 
find our strength, not in trying to make things happen ourselves, but that we would find our strength by drawing closer to him. That we would be people of maybe less words and just more being with him. And I think when we are able to, to be in that place where we're with him, there's, there's a strength to that. There's this, this, this ability that we're able to live from to, to maybe respond to others how Jesus responded to that lady that day. So as I started off tonight with that tagline, God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves. When we live in in that place of grace, we don't have to feel like we have to take things into our own hands and, and earn it, but we can just rest in him. Tom's going to lead us in a, a final song. And uh, yeah. Why don't we stand together? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast at Centre Church. One church passionately loving God and people in Burgess Hill and Brighton. To get the latest news or for any other information, check out our website at www.centrechurch.uk.